0: Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40 minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, we're re airing an episode from June 2019 with the incredible writer and performance artist and someone who I'm honored to call a friend, Elok, where I ask them, How grateful are we to live beyond the gender binary? Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm so excited to introduce our beautiful guest, Alok, who is a writer, performance artist, fashionista extraordinaire. So nice to have you here. Welcome. So happy to be here. Thank you. Well, um, so it's, I don't know if you heard this. Did you know it's Pride Month? I had no idea. <laughs> I don't know if you heard anything about it the or suspense. saw anything. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's, we're already like almost halfway through, unfortunately. But uh, I just found out. I'm just kidding. We love Pride Month. This, I thought it was Straight Pride Month. <laughs> no, <laughs> what is that? With we're gonna have to hit that point later. That, yeah. We'll get there. But you are a very, um, you are having. I mean, you've been working towards creating your moment for a second. But I I feel like you've been on my radar for a second, but you're really coming into your own in public in a visible way that has just been so beautiful and exciting to watch. I'm curious about you. I want to know everything. I'm so inspired by you, and um, I look up to you. And yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about everything.
1: Okay, sure. Like, welcome to Morning Therapy. Um, my name's Alok, like you said, as in Tell Me a Joke, Alok. I'm a gender non-conforming writer and performance artist. And basically what that means is I'm a Cancer Leo rising with a lot of feelings. And the stage is really the only place where this culture allows us to, like, cry and laugh. So that's where I am most of the time. I've been performing now for about seven years, touring the world. So I've performed in over 43 countries at over 500 venues. And a lot of my work is about challenging the gender binary. Um, so I guess, like, my sort of soapbox is, I think it's so wrong that we tell people that there's man or woman male or female. And I think there are as many genders as there are people in the world. So I'm trying to fight for a world where we celebrate creativity and not require people to conform.
0: Wow. (laughs) I love that. And I love that you've been able to articulate the name of your soapbox and like how you want to approach that. Yeah. It is, I was just, I've, I've been writing a book lately and I've been thinking so much about how... Like, all my experiences with gender were so much formed when I was a little kid. Yeah. And how, um, really, like, our ability to express ourselves is so linked to how we, like, perceive our ability to, like, make it in the world. Right. I feel like, and as a child, it was, like, really bore into me that if I, like, being a gay man was something that was, like, terrifying for my family but it was something that was like somehow more um, okay than like finding me at home in like a big puffy golden um, you know shoulder dynasty evening (laughs) gown and my beautiful like clip on earrings and my beautiful scarves and, and heels like when my dad found that it was like
1: That's the problem. Yeah, and it really scared me. Yeah, same. I mean, I'm actually flying out right after this back to my hometown in Texas. So I like to say I grew up in a small town in Texas. It was very much homo on the range, okay? (laughs) So as you can imagine, extremely white, evangelical, Christian, straight. And there I was, like a brown, gender nonconforming, non-Christian kid, and for me, it was always about gender, not about sexuality. I used to wear my sister's clothes. I used to dance to all the Bollywood songs at our local Indian dinner parties. I didn't call it drag. It was just me, you know? I'd wear my mom's clothes. I would make gowns out of all the towels. And it was totally okay until I hit puberty. And then when you hit puberty, it's like, time to be a boy. And I was like, wait, what? Like, why are you okay? And then everyone in my family, everyone in my community started to shame me for being feminine. And I didn't even understand what I was as feminine or masculine, it was about freedom. And I'm coming back up for my 10 year high school reunion actually, it's like a big fuck you to my school and to my classmates because I never felt safe there to express myself. But now she's cura- she's cur- curated all of her outfits. Don't worry, there's multiple outfit changes. Uh-huh. She's a nice, practical six inch denim wedge heel that she's going to wear homage to Texas. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm really just trying to teach people like. When it comes to young trans and gender unconforming kids, oftentimes they will try their best to destroy us and call it love, that it was the people in my life who said they loved me who also told me to be quiet. So they loved the masculine form of me and not me. And I think a lot of my poetry over the past decade has been about healing from that. And I I think I have. I mean, healing is like a lifelong journey. But now I think I'm ready to be more of an advocate for the community because I think so many of us have to destroy. The first line in my book of poetry is, what feminine part of yourself did you have to destroy in order to survive in this world? And I think so many people across genders have to police our femininity in order to be real, in order to be safe, in order to be desirable. And I want to challenge that.
0: Wow, that's (laughs) so beautiful. I mean, it is, I feel especially in, like, gay male culture, it's
1: crazy. Oh, my God. It's so traumatic.
0: It's literally so traumatic. But I do think that there are um, fringes where it's starting to open and become, like, more supple and gorgeous and feminine. Like, and, like, even just in our ability to be, like to voice your attraction to, like, (laughs) non-binary people and to see, um, like, just to see, like, the lack of fun that's in, like...
1: like (laughs) That's what it's about. It's about fun, actually.
0: It is. Well, it's just, like, the lack... It's, like, (laughs) such a rigid... I don't know. I just think that, like, the way that we celebrate masculinity and femininity is so rigid. So
1: rigid. You know, it's ridiculous because they say that we have a disorder for being gender nonconforming, but I think the real problem is society's understandings of man and woman. Like, cis people are having to live up to a completely unrealistic standard where you're not allowed to have emotions if you're a man and you're not allowed to be competent if you're a woman, and that needs to be challenged. And I think what I'm really trying to do in my work is to get feminism to catch up to the reality of gender, which is the problem is not just man supremacy over women the problem is that we divide people into man and woman to begin with and for me what feminism is actually about is people should have the autonomy to determine their own gender expression what to call their body and who they are and i think that that scares people because i mean i'm sure you get this when we're growing up as kids we're taught if you at all express yourself a little bit past a point then you are just disposed of you're too much and I think to be a gender nonconforming person is to always be never enough and to be too much at the same time. Oh, they're always policing us and they're always saying, this is where you belong, this is where you don't belong. And I'm saying, done with those binaries, done with those boxes, just allow me to live my life. My name is Alok. Uh,
0: which I love. Okay, so let's go back to BB Alok. Yeah. Because, like, Texas is... In the, so, okay, so if you're coming up on your tenure reunion, that means that you're like, okay, I'm just doing my math, which if it's <laughs> I'm not about hair. to turn 28. Yeah, so like, I'm yeah. not great at hair color. So, okay. all right, ex- ew, whoever says that. I'm great at hair color, but I'm <laughs> only good at adding and subtracting got hair it, color, got it, not got it. like years. Right. But okay, so I'm, so, but you're like coming up in the mid 90s. Yeah. In, in Texas. Yeah. As a gender non comp, and, cause see, I think by the time I was like, with my voice and how i carry my body yeah. and how i like move and talk i think i was very gender non-conforming right. but with my clothes like i feel like i was not allowed right. to like i mean it was like literally not allowed wait, wait, like right. i could play as much as i could with like tights because i had like an v- extreme avert- aversion to like buttons snaps or zippers right. until like my dad was like you have to fucking wear umbro <laughs> shorts and jeans to school. like right. you. And and also, I just think I was, like, scared. Like, I was right. scared to, like, dress how I really would yeah. have naturally. I mean, I already realized by the time I was in kindergarten and first grade that, like, wearing, like, scarves to make yourself look like Christy Yamaguchi from your mom's scarf <laughs> collection was, like, frowned upon. Right. Um. But so you were rocking that at school.
1: I was rocking that until maybe, like, eight or nine.
0: Which is so strong and brave. You know? Like, I would not, like, I... Like I did at home, I definitely like. Was I choreographing to like Vanessa Williams, like her entire album? Like, yes. Like I <laughs> yeah. had beautiful like lyrical dances to all that. For me, it
1: was Dream, the girl group. Remember that? He loves me. He loves me not.
0: Oh, he loves me. He, he, he loves me not. I love it. I, uh-huh. I love that album so much. I still listen to it. Wait, do you remember that? Not to get off track, and then we'll go back to gender expression when we were young, so it was really when you were young, which is really important. But do you remember that one song that was like, C'est la vie, say lovey, yes. say you will, say you will? Yes. I loved that. It was song. so good. Uh-huh. I mean,
1: honestly, music has just taken a down. Turn from there. Like, that was the highlight. Uh, well, I mean, I feel like Danny Cain was still bringing in pretty hard. Okay, yeah. You know? Um, yeah, so the thing is, like, I grew up in an Indian family, and I think that's important because we have always had gender expression outside of the Western binary for like thousands of years. Which is
0: gorgeous. Hello. Can you give people a, a detour into that? Totally,
1: 100%. So a lot of people think that this whole non-binary thing is a new fad. And that irritates me so much because actually the new fad is man and woman. <laughs> that actually there have been people outside of the Western gender binary for literally thousands of years. And there still are. So where I'm from in India, actually, we have a long documented history of hijras, of arvanis, of, Kothis, of all these words to describe people outside of male and female.
0: Is the first, the first one you said, is that H-I-J-J? H-I-J-R-A. H-I-J-R-A. And weren't those baby gorginas... Minding their own business, and when Britain came in, and isn't that the first? Because I think I yes. just read about this in BBC. Yes, yes, it,
1: BBC just did a great a great story on this. So a lot of people don't know this history, so I'll break it down for people who don't. Please. So when the British, aka the origin of all my issues, in my life came into my country, and it wasn't even a country at the point because the nation state came with them too. The first, one of the first things they did is they criminalized queer people. So they did two acts. One was the sodomy law, which was recently repealed, Section Three Seven Seven. And the second, actually, was the eunuch ordinances law, which single-handedly criminalized gender nonconforming people. So what they would do is they would forcibly strip trans-feminine, gender-nonconforming people, sell their clothes, and make them wear men's clothes. And this is a tactic of colonization we have seemed to have forgotten. It happened here in the United States as well, where Indigenous people were forcibly assimilated into man and woman. So Indigenous men had to cut their braids, Indigenous women had to wear dresses, that we took a very European white gender binary and we imposed that onto people of color, Indigenous people. And so for me, when we say that non-binary is a new fad, I'm like, actually that's racism. Because this has been around for for a very, very long time. It might be new to white or European consciousness, but black and brown people have had this for a very long time. We're going to take a second break. We'll be right back (laughs) with more look after this teeny little break.
0: Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We are here with Alok. Um, okay, so that's really important. And there was a couple of things that you say that really blew my mind. One is that, I wonder, did Britain come into India? Like, it's in the 1800s, right? right? I think it was 1850-something. But it actually really doesn't even matter because when you think, well, it does, but not for the purposes of what I was saying. 2019, that law got repealed, or 18? 18, 18, yeah. 18, that took, even if it was 1899,
1: that was 120 years. Right. It's just really, almost. it's it's sad because you see all these maps of like the safest places in the world to be gay. And it's always concentrated in the U.S. and Europe. But I'm like, you need to understand that actually these sodomy laws were put into place through. By those places. Hello. So why are you patting yourself on the back about how progressive you were whenever you brought that conservatism and that homophobia across the world?
0: So it's 1864. 1864, India, Britain came in. we just did our little uh, beep boop. We edited that out. We make that part cute. But then basically we just did a little quick Googling and we realized that Britain came into India in 1754, then, or 1750-ish. Then in 1864, they enacted these two laws that criminalized uh LGBT. Gender
1: nonconformity and queerness. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so really you were saying that this is racism when we wait, say everything that you just said again. Because <laughs> now so, we're back for the You know, right.
1: like media right now is saying like, we're in a non-binary fad or like, we're in a gender neutral fad. And I'm just like rolling my eyes because I'm like, this is not a fad. This has like thousands of years of history. And also we've been around for a very long time. I think that part of the ways that we're getting dismissed, especially in state legislation right now, because it's important to name that there's literally dozens of pieces of anti-trans legislation that are being debated right now, is they're saying this is a millennial fad where we're just coming up and making up with genders. And I'm like, okay, first of all, all language is made up newsflash. They only get mad when we make up new language around gender and sexuality, but they're not like protesting the word tweet and being in the dictionary, you know? Language evolves and changes over time. But what they're saying essentially is that this is just a conspiracy of millennial internet kids who are making up genders. And I want to say, actually, that's not true. We've been around for a very long time. We've had different words to describe ourselves, but this is a tactic of transphobia. It's not about real history.
0: And also it's not even limited. Well, I mean, it's not limited only to Indian Indian culture. I don't that there's like Central American cultures where there is like also in Native American there is like definitely even in
1: pre-colonial Europe that's what I always tell white people too I'm like if you actually learn about your cultures before the formation of Europe y'all were literally doing such amazing stuff too really like what what were we doing (laughs) like amazing relationships with the environment and nature like ritual and ceremony multiple genders like sex positivity you know
0: (laughs) We were. Yeah. <laughs> like, kind of like, and do you watch Outlander?
1: No. Should I?
0: Well, yes. It's kind of fierce. It's like time travel. It's hot. Sam Hogan, I think is how I say his last name. Mm-hmm. Super cute. And then Carolina b- starts with a B, fierce. But it's a story of this, like, 1945, like, Amer- or British... Um, couple, and then they accidentally, like, touch this, like, wooden Stonehenge and transport back to 1750-something. Oh. But there's, like, baby witches, and, like, they're doing, like, chic, like, nature witchy stuff, and I could t- and there was definitely, like, some slightly LGBT stuff. I okay. feel like I remember there, and, like, the second or third just, out. like, interesting. I love that. Yeah. I love it when, like... Um, white people did something good once upon a time. <laughs> once That's upon like, a well, time. Yeah, like, wow. Yeah. Like, deep down, like, there's... <laughs> you know, everyone has good things right. in them. But that is... But the binary, so gross. So we come back from our detour of yeah. the history of Indian gender stuff. Right. Which, oh, and also Filipino culture. There's right. also a lot totally. of gorgeous third genders. Yeah. Too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my God, I'm about to sneeze. Uh? uh mm-hmm.
1: It was, it's the uh. ancestors speaking through you right now.
0: Hmm. Okay, it's, it now just diverged. <laughs> um. But, so... But back to you yeah. and it's like the nineties and we're in yeah. we are in Texas yeah. and your family is Indian yeah. and can like can I ask you like Like, you were born here, but, like, was it your parents that came or your grandparents?
1: Yeah. So my dad was born in Malaysia, where he was born and raised, and then went to India for school, then went to Canada, then went to the U.S. What a gorgeous gorgeous multicultural (laughs) person. And my mom was born in India and then moved to the U.S. Um, So we grew up, like, kind of with extremities of, like, a very white Christian town and then a very tight-knit Indian Hindu community. But the reason I was bringing that up is because among other Indian people, when I was a kid, my gender nonconformity was not a problem. And I say that because I think that there's this revisionist history happening right now where we pretend that immigrants are more conservative or more homophobic or transphobic. Or literally just the other day, I was like at the at my P.O. box and this white woman came out to me and she's like, it's a good thing that you live in the U.S. because they would kill you where you're from. I was like, excuse me. Like, first of all, the audacity to come up and say that to me in the middle of the day. And I tried to get her together, and I was like, actually, like, you need to understand that this country is one of the most dangerous in the world right now for me. That actually, that I have more legal protections in other places. In places like India, they actually acknowledge their gender on all identity documents, whereas here, I still have to be called a man everywhere I go. I can't even walk down the street in New York City without being afraid for my safety. But it's just so ingrained in people that when you see immigrants, when you see brown people, they're somehow more homophobic or transphobic. But that was not my case, not my case at all. I started to experience gender policing when I I would go to school and then other white kids would be like, what are you doing? And so for me, like becoming a man was always about becoming a white man. This kind of very masculine, like don't care about fashion. Like Indian men are literally some of those fashionable people in the world. Like we're literally wearing like mirrors, like glammed, like drag queens every day. But then in white male culture, it's like never care about your hair, never care about your nails, never care about your, that was never my experience. And so I think a lot of what I'm really trying to do and bring to the movement around LGBT issues is to say like, this is a racial justice issue, that it's not just, like, you have LGBT rights over here and racial justice over there, and they only come together when there's queer people of color. LGBT rights are already always about racial justice. Just, yeah, for
0: sure. And, well, I got to interview the director of the um, National Center for Transgender Equality. Yeah, Yeah, Mara. Mm -hmm. And Mara was saying, like, you know, you will see people from the National Center for Transgender Equality at every protest for— whether it's, you know, Muslim equality, right. if it's whatever the marginalized community is, whoever it is, you are going to see someone from National totally. Center for Transgender Equality because we are not free until we are all free. Hello. But I do think that it's like it is. And I think another thing that I realize now that continues to be an issue is like the marginalization of um, classes, like people that don't right. have money, like totally. that creates this whole other level 100%. of like inability to access safety information right. like literal safety because right. even how you present how you look like mm-hmm. the more the chicer you look or like the more like polished you look i feel like that can make you 100%. more safe from like harassment yes totally Which is, like, a thing. So, but for for you growing up, you had the courage and the wherewithal and the strength to, like, present how you wanted to present
1: up into school. Then you started experiencing, like, gender policing. Were you very much bullied? Oh, my God. Bullied so much. And... I think that's why I'm a little scared about going back for this 10-year reunion because I have so much trauma from this town. Like, we call my town colloquially Closet Station. It's called College Station. It was just like there was no queer visibility at all. We had one gay bar on the periphery of town next to the strip club. So it's like that was where all the quote-unquote centers went, right? So I just did not know it was even possible to be LGBTQ. And then when there was media representation, there was never any Indian people who were LGBTQ. So I was like, that's just a white people thing. And so I was by the Indians for being too gender conforming, and by the white people for being gender conforming and for being brown. And especially growing up in a post-9-11 moment, I was made into this scary figure kind of overnight. And so I have so much trauma from that period where I attempted suicide when I was 13. And I speak about that publicly because actually trans Asian Americans have some of the highest suicide rates in the country. And I always say that when you tell us that we're not real, at some level we begin to believe you, you know? And that's why I have difficulty even saying I attempted suicide and rather saying, you know, I almost died by suicide because was it my agency or was it just me reflecting everyone telling me to disappear?
0: Wow, that is fucking heartbreaking. So you I that is one thing that has really blown my mind as a white person. The and just like I came from like a rural cornfield in the middle of America during 9-11. Mm-hmm. I was very outliving as a gay like little like, ninth grader, then. I mean, I was very out, very queer. I mean, mm-hmm. like just because I went by Jack, then it's so like just Jack, like from Will and Grace, was like mm-hmm. it was either that or faggot. Like it was one of <laughs> those, like one of those they used two. used to things. call me
1: Fagatron, which I've since reclaimed. I'm like, that's kind of a cute look, right? It, it's
0: like, you know, just <laughs> what, but do you notice how, like, if I recount my experience of like being called faggot to people, like people like cringe. They do. Like they get so, like, and whereas, like, for me, it's like if I hear someone <laughs> say faggot to me to this day, like, I turn my head,
1: assuming that someone Ooh, is like coming for safe. me. Like, that was just the the name that I was called all the time. Yeah, like right. I, it's not, it, it literally
0: doesn't even like move a hair on right. my head. Right. So but how did you get through high school? Like how did you do that? I mean, you are you did not. Ha- oh, but that I was going to say back to the whiteness and of yeah. like I didn't realize like how deeply nine eleven affected the rights and the perceived right or no not perceived right the rights of right. Muslim American people right. and like and hey, anyone
1: perceived as Muslim. Yeah. Too. Anyone. Yeah. Yeah, because
0: like, because like, were you like a BB? You were like a baby Hindu.
1: Yeah, my family was Hindu, but I think that what a lot of people don't understand is like Islamophobia was part of a racist project where anyone who was ethnically ambiguous or brown was just already racialized as Muslim. Right. So many
0: Sikh people right. were also. So like, many,
1: and still to this day, Sikh people are being targeted for hate crimes all the time. It doesn't make the news, you know. Um, how I got through high school: uh, two things. One, my art practice. So, because I couldn't speak about the bullying I was going through, and I'm sure you can identify with this, when you're a young queer person, if you speak about the violence you're experiencing, it brings more violence to you because then you're showing people that it has an impact on you. You have to constantly pretend, no, I'm, I'm fabulous. I'm strong. I'm funny. I'm charming. I, you can't actually show I'm hurting. I'm sad because then you become more vulnerable and they target you. And then also, I wasn't disclosing to people that I was gender conforming. I didn't have that language. All I knew was gay. So I was like, okay, I'm gay. I didn't want to tell people that I was gay because 'Cause then I would get more harassment, right? So I was just being very strategic and that's why I don't like the word closeted, I was being strategic. I was like, Okay, girl, I need to get out of Texas so I can live my truth because right now my physical safety is in jeopardy. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do this. So I started to write because I had nowhere else to put the pain. So I just, I was a big MySpace kid. I don't know if you're on MySpace. I've always been an internet kind of girl boy. So I was really big on MySpace, really big on Zanga. had my digital communities because they were taking care of me when I didn't have a physical community. You know, I met LGBT people online and they were like, this is what it means to be gay. I was like, oh my God, because in Texas, we had a zero tolerance sexual, uh, sexual um, education policy. So we were literally taught like 101 ways to say no to sex. There was a poster in my room that'd be like, what would my dad think or I have to sneeze? <laughs> just things we could say. So I never learned about sexual sexuality at all, so the internet was where I went. So I started to post like my journal entries, which I didn't call poems, they were just like my diary online under a pseudonym called Larry. There's a lot going on at the time. I started an inner name society put her a trans moment when I was in sixth grade like what name do you want to be called and I chose Larry kind of anti but
0: that's my cat's middle name oh my god
1: uh, well maybe we're connected I bet we
0: are <laughs> wait we're going to take a two second break we're just but uh, there's like just two seconds break it'll be painless I swear welcome back to getting curious with a look and so basically sixth grade yes. you started like a literal yes. like pronoun slash name preferential yes, thing totally. before it was even fucking people cheap. call me like,
1: larry for years some some of my friends from high school still like will call me larry i'm like what but anyway so i started to post my poems online i didn't call them poems they're just my diary entries and people were like oh my god you're better than Shakespeare. shakespeare's like what and they're like you're an artist so i was like what and they're like can i read your poem in my high school english class i'm like oh my god and so those people gave me the validation to keep on writing and i just wrote and wrote and wrote and and that's how I processed a lot of the pain. I call it emotional alchemy when you take harassment and violence and you turn it into something else and turn it into something beautiful. And I think that's what I love about being queer is that we've always been able to do that. That's our historic tradition. In New York City, it used to be illegal to wear more than two articles of clothing different than your assigned sex, right? They would throw the girls in prison. And those girls when went, honey, during the Stonewall riots, like what? all before that. Yes. Cross-testing laws in New York City. silver Vera has some amazing interviews on this about being arrested for, quote, female impersonation, right? And and she said for her, even if she was wearing makeup just on her face walking down the street, they would arrest her on charges of female impersonation from the shoulders up. <laughs> it was literally a criminal offense to be gender nonconforming in public in New York City. And what I take solace in is that those girls, those drag queens would be incarcerated, would dust off their heels and go right back out onto the street living their truth. And that sense of being able to bounce back and to actually amplify your fabulosity based off of the terror you're experiencing. So for me, when I'm getting harassed, I receive so much harassment, but that's how I'm so free because I recognize my power. And I think as a young kid, I didn't understand like you have so much power that you can make your entire high school sweat. Like you have so much power that when you walk down the hallway, everyone is staring at you. Now I understand that's my queer power. Like, people are envious and jealous because we are the free people and we've been taught to destroy... Our own freedom. So when we see other people being free, we're jealous. So I made art, and that's where I started to put it out. And then I also studied really hard. Um, and I think this is—I'm I'm hearing this from a lot of queer kids. I, I do a lot of college gigs, and a lot of them tell me, like, "Yeah, I really just wanted a scholarship so I could get out of my, my out of my place." So I was thinking to myself, if I'm really smart, then there'll be something redeemable about me. A, a local be the faggot who's smart. <laughs> a local be the faggot who's really good at English or really good at writing. And so I just studied, 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 studied. studied. And I think that now I understand what I was trying to do, or at least I'm working through it in therapy, is that I wanted to be able to defy everyone's stereotypes to actually, because I'm sure you get this too. When people see people who they perceive to be men who are feminine, they think that we're stupid, that we're incompetent, that all we can do is like talk about like our hair and our nails. And I'm like, I can talk about those things, but I can also talk about so many other more enormous things. And I'm actually really intelligent and smart. And so I thought like, if I studied really hard, I could defy people's stereotypes and I could get access to safety, worth, beauty, and recognition.
0: Wow, babe, you are amazed. Thanks. But have you ever heard of that book, The Velvet Rage? No. Okay, so there's this book called The Velvet Rage by, um, yeah, Alan Downs. So he basically says that the reason that... He says that there's, like, three phases of, like, gay men. Mm. And the reason that so many of us become, like, experts, you know, the best at English or the best mm-hmm. athletes or the best hairdressers or the best, you know, translators, whatever. Like, oftentimes, like, we become, like, the best at our things. Right. It's because we have to work so hard right. for the love and the acceptance of the right. people that we have to do that. So and true. Um, and then he goes on to say, like, a bunch of other stuff. It's a very interesting read. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, uh, but it is, it is like, a very good read. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Um uh, also has, like, some Louise Hay vibes. Fine, I'll say it. Like, okay. in the sense that I'm, like, a little bit sick. Like, I'm, like, I'm, like you're kind of Trey on a soapbox. Because I okay. feel like there's, like, a, he lacks a certain intersectionality right. about gender. Mm, a lot of them do. That bothers me. Right. Um, that didn't feel, like, totally, like, organic to, like, my particular right. experience. Right, Um, But also, you know, I think that's one of the other thing that makes me feel really seen and good, but we need so much more of this, And he talks about this sometimes, but it's like the knowledge that like I'm not terminally like unique and that like I wasn't the only one when I was fifteen trying to figure out how I could like I was like I once drove to this town in Missouri, like across the river from where Mm -hmm. I'm from, because I was like, maybe I could go down their front street in like a cute girl outfit and like it would be, like, okay. I literally got out of the car and got back in it, like, 10 steps later because, like, it was very immediate that it was, like, not going to be okay. But it was really cute. I had this, like, little, like, maroon mini jumper
1: dress. You need to recreate this look.
0: It was, like, and then, like, I had, like, a little scarf because my hair wasn't
1: long yet. It was,
0: and also for, like, and also, like, any Halloween, I was always, like, dress, skirt, like, let me just, like, get my life in this particular, like, I love that.
1: I love that. Halloween was my favorite. Ah. To this day in New York City, on Halloween and New York Fashion Week is when I'm the safest, because people can be like, oh, you're just dressed up for something. I have people come up to me in restaurants and just be like, what are you dressed up for? What are you in a costume for? I'm like, honey, this is not a costume, it's my daily look. This is just what I'm wearing right now. Yeah.
0: So high school, I'm obsessed with, what did you call it again when we take like violence? Emotional alchemy. Emotional alchemy. Mm -hmm. I love that. So basically you're in high school you've like developed this emotional alchemy digitally which I love like using your resources like not your fault you're smart
1: then you're like when did you like bust out okay so I I'm in Cancer Leo rising like I said which means I'm deep emotions and I'm able to express them so everything for me it's heightened. So I was like, okay, if I'm gonna do this coming out thing, it's gonna be epic. So I literally planned it. I had like 15 people. Each person I had to have like a one on one kind of declarative conversation with. And then after I told those 15 people, I got a Facebook account and I put like interested in men on Facebook because I knew at that moment in the MySpace, sorry. Was that, yeah, vice I, I think at that moment, everyone would always go check like what you put interested in. I was like, I'm going to be honest, right? And so my senior year in high school, I chose those 15 people. I was dating a woman throughout high school, which I think is important because a lot of times people think that being gay is synonymous with being trans or gender nonconforming, but actually they're separate. Like, I've always been attracted to people of all genders, and hello! And I was dating a cis woman throughout high school, and for a long time I didn't think that you could be bisexual or pan, so I was like, Oh, like I must be gay. I can't be into her. But now I'm like, oh my god, no. We were just in a lesbian relationship, and we didn't understand. Oh it. my god! Every once in a
0: while, like once a year, I'll think like, oh my god, I think I want to watch like a like late like a porn with like a lady in it. Mm-hmm. Every year, after about twenty seconds, I'm like, I am complete. I feel good. I actually was not cure, mm-hmm. but I think you're gorgeous. Like right. I'm you know, like you're gorgeous. But it's good I, to check in,
1: things change. Yeah? I
0: have to check. Yeah, yeah, I realize it's, it's always like this little whisper, right. like like annually. And then I'm always like, nope, I'm okay. Right. But before I used to think that I had to be vaginophobic right. because I thought that that was something that I had to prove right. to like own my gayness. Right. Like so I was definitely that gay like in my teenage years where I'd be like, ew, like ugh. Like if like, someone right. was like vagina, uh like, and I'd be like, ugh like, like, but then I But then Margaret Cho was like, have you ever even eaten pussy when I was doing her hair this one day? And I was like, no. Although I did one time. I I did have one sexual experience (laughs) with a woman. Oh, this one time when Mm -hmm. I was in high school. And I was like, I said that. And she was like, well, then you really can't knock it until you try it. And then I was like... Ladies are fierce, right. and so are vaginas. Totally. And I was only saying that as a reaction to, like, it was like a protectionist thing, and ever since then I've been, like, very pro-vagina.
1: Right, I'm really glad that you bring that up, because I feel like what ends up happening in gay male culture is that there's so much of a pressure to be a particular kind of gay man like that is like vagina hating and that's also transphobic right because there are trans men that have vaginas and non-binary people that have vaginas right so there are gay cis men who are dating trans men and are in gay relationships and there are vaginas there so that language is even coded transphobia but there's this kind of pressure to be this really like misogynistic person and I think that was my experiences after high school is like I could finally join a gay community when I was in college and I was meeting gay people for the first time and I was like is this what I spent my entire life trying to do, it was so traumatic because I felt like no one had actually processed their childhood trauma and was just taking it out on each other. The amount of bullying, the amount of pettiness, the amount of...
0: That you went through in college. Yeah. And where did you go to college? I went
1: to Stanford in California. So and, you
0: went from Texas to California? Yes, I did. And then once you got there, you were like, like the...
1: Like, the bullying that you receive, like, from within the LGBT community. Yeah, because there would just be this pressure, and we were speaking to it a little bit before, about, like, a kind of masculinity in the gay male culture. Like, okay, I've lost male privilege from being gay, so I'm going to overcompensate for that, for being as masculine as possible. And if you were at all feminine or gender nonconforming, you were just seen as, like, the leader of the club. Or, like, you were always just made into a caricature and never a real person. And I think that trauma is what I'm still working through, because I'm, like— when it's other people outside of your community who are oppressing you, you're kind of used to that, you know? So it's like when I'm experiencing racism from white people, I'm like, okay, I've had that mentality. When I'm experiencing homophobia and transphobia from straight people, I'm like, okay. But when it's within the community, you're like, really? You should know what it's like. But this is what I've learned being a gender nonconforming person. From all fronts, people are projecting on us and they discriminate against us. And the trans movement, they'll say, you're not really trans enough. If you are really trans, you should be taking hormones. You're making us look bad. You're too visible. In the gay movement, they'll be like, you're just a gay man that's confused. You should be more masculine. I'm like, what? But then I, I've started to really learn, and I think college was an exercise in this, of like, I'm not responsible for other people's projections. I'm really not. And that's a really hard thing when you're a queer person because you you learn how to be a, be a people pleaser for your safety. Like, when I was younger, I learned how to crack the best jokes, how to compliment everyone, how to make other people feel comfortable so they wouldn't attack me. And I still see that coming into my life now where I can disarm and charm people. But I'm like, actually, no, I'm going to take-up space and you're going to call me a bitch. I'm going to take up space, and you're going to say that I'm um, stupid or irrational. But that's just your misogyny, not not anything to do with me.
0: Yes, I have really dealt with that so much too. Right. Like, it, but you are so, um, yeah. Your way of words, like being able to like speak words that. So you go to Stanford. Yeah. And so basically, your whole twenties, once you come out, you're living your same gender non-conforming. Uh, but like not you're like you're just like a pan gender and yeah. like a pansexually <laughs> like gender non-conforming queen. Yeah.
1: So it took a while to come into those terms. I still like I only really started presenting in the ways that I do now after I left school. And that's honestly the case, I think, for a lot of us, because at school there was still that kind of masculinity where I felt like I would be targeted, I would experience sexual violence. I didn't feel safe. I felt safe like at like a queer party, but not on like a day-to-day kind of thing. And this is, I think, something that I'm really thinking about these days with this kind of gender fluid moment. People are comfortable with gender fluidity when it's on a billboard, when it's on a runway, when it's on a photo shoot. But when it's sitting next to you on the train, then it's threatening, right? So it's like, they'll be okay with us as a spectacle. Like, oh, you're just dressing up for something. But if you're just living your life, then it's a problem. So after I graduated from school, I moved to New York because I needed to be around other trans people. Like, I really was seeking, like, people in my life who would understand what I was going through. And for the first time I met other trans and gender nonconforming people of color and I gained the courage through them seeing me and being like we see you for who you are to start wearing dresses and makeup and growing out my hair and that was I think a, the chapter of my life that has been the most traumatic because that's when the physical violence started. Mm. So
0: you come to New York and that was when you experienced like your like physical violence for the first time.
1: Yeah. Um, and and I still do and I think people get so shocked by this but I'm like this is the reality for us as gender nonconforming people especially gender nonconforming people of color every single day in New York City people spit at me they laugh at me they take photos of me without my consent they yell things at me they film me sometimes they push me they shove me I've been physically attacked I've been sexually harassed and the thing is it doesn't stop like you're on the train people are messing with you you're walking to the restaurant people are messing with the restaurant you go to the bathroom people are messing in the bathroom And it really has changed my entire life and I think affected my entire art because there's never a moment of peace or or, or like clarity except for when I'm with other gender nonconforming people. And that's why I wanted to use this as an opportunity to say, I know this is a a big week for you, but like your visibility of seeing you with a beard and wearing a skirt has meant so much to me too because I'm like, people are always like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, what, it's not a big deal. But I really feel like at every level, people are trying to invalidate me. Which
0: is so unfair.
1: It's so unfair. It hurts so much.
0: And, I mean, it—I feel like I—when it comes to gender expression, I feel like it was literally physically, like, my natural inclination to express it and to feel comfortable in a non-binary gender expression was, like, physically beaten out of me from, like, a very early age. And I was— taught to be, like, very terrified of it. And I was only allowed to, like, test my boundaries as much as I could. Which, as I came into, like, my 20s and as a hairdresser, like, really the ways that I could challenge it the most was, like, on Halloween or by wearing right. tights <laughs> to going to yoga right. or joining, like, cheerleading or right. even doing gymnastics. But, right. like, those sorts of ways were, like, the only ways that, like, I felt. Because, like, I, like with I guess I could have done, like, the, well, because those are the things that I was like the most passionate about. Right. Like, I didn't like really like want to go into theater necessarily. I, w- I played the violin, which right. I loved. I played cello. I, uh, I loved the violin yes. so much.
1: We need a duet moment. We do. <laughs>
0: we really should. Or yeah. we need, like a Thor. We can do like yes. a little like trio. Yes. Um. But you guys are probably way better than me. Um. <laughs> but uh. But yeah, I mean, I. I think I, it it got to this point like pre queer eye and post doing hair where it just. Like, I was raising cats and going through a lot of, like, really, like, awful, horrifically challenging personal things, like, losing parents, people with cancer, just, Mm -hmm. and just expressing my gender was, like, something that was, like, it came out going out at night, or, like, it just, I was going to the salon and just, like, putting one foot in front of the other, and, like, it just wasn't really on my radar, because I was just getting through my life. But every time I had a chance to play with it, I was, like, always there to play with it. Um, I didn't realize, like, how important it was, like, putting a name to what my gender is or even, like, putting a name on it. I just, I literally, because like, what I, and I, even in that interview, like, I didn't really, like, I just was talking to this amazing person about this partnership and about gender. And people had been asking me about, like, what is your gender right. expression? Like, for basically, like, since Queer I came out. Right. But I guess I just never, I always just thought that, I guess I just, like, didn't know that we had a name. Right. That really was, like, kind of what it came down to. Right. I always knew that I really looked up to people that were non-binary. I just, I think I just remember, like, being torn out of dresses as a child and right. thinking that, like, you know, like, an exact quote that was, like, said to me at, like, under the age of 10 was, like, I don't care if you suck dick. I don't want you to get AIDS. Yeah. Like, there was, <laughs> like, there was so many so things that were, said, and that was, like, by an adult person right, in their 40s. Right, right. So, like, even getting to, like, I was dealing with so many signals around, and just terrified around so many things. I just, it, I think that in some ways we all have come really far, but I, then I think, again, like, I get really reticent, because I think that we are way too quick to pat ourselves on the back, especially right. for things like Queer Eye, because, like, as much as I do love the show and, and it is heartfelt, but, like, especially in terms of, like, safety and representation, like, this is, like, one successful TV show in an entertainment landscape right. that is gigantic. And it, like... That is still so homophobic and transphobic. So homophobic, <laughs> yeah. so transphobic, and
1: so underrepresents right our community. Right. Like, we have, like... We're the makeup artists. We're the stylists. We're doing all the the behind-the-scenes, but we're never in front of the camera.
0: And even when we are... Even the people that are in front of the camera only represent, like, a tiny fraction of our community. I'm not complaining, because, like, it's been good for me, and it's been good for some of our, like, LGBTQ family. Right. But there it's still woefully underrepresented right. and some of the most talented actors and comedians and people that i know
1: like have never even gotten auditions that they should have 100%. because of just like the culture of the way that things are the way that it's affected me professionally makes me so mad like i'm an extremely talented writer and performer i've been doing this all across the world for almost a decade but my support has come from the internet and not from any mainstream entertainment agencies. When they come to my shows, their jaws are on the floor. They're like, you're hilarious, you're gregarious, you're dynamic, you're thinking, you're preaching, you're doing a whole nother level of art. They're so surprised. I'm like, let's get rid of this diamond in the rough kind of conversation because my community has always seen me for the diamond that I was. It's just when white, straight, cis men validate us, then we blow up, you know? And I want to interrupt that cycle, the cycle of Madonna stealing from Vogue and then making it be a thing. Like, why do we have to have these institutional gatekeepers? And that's why, for me, it's really important for queer people to support queer people professionally and to actually say, we should not need straight validation or, like, a stamp to say, this is an appropriate gay, but to actually support one another. So for me, everywhere I'm performing, I try to find another trans artist of color to try to uplift them and their work. I try to find ways to... like, pay all the queer people that I'm working with to hire queer visionary teams, makeup artists, hairstylists, because I'm like, this needs to be a movement, not just a moment.
0: I'm really big on that, too, especially with comedy. It's always, if they, always LGBTQ, always female, if not LGBTQ, like, just always people of color, diversity. Like, I don't want, like, to have, like, I don't want this platform of comedy that I've been given, which is so lucky and random, and, like, I've I've gotten to do tours and stuff that, like, I have earned, but not in a way that, like, right. other people who have worked so hard that I respect so much, like, girl, you got to come with me. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, I saw that you were on Laverne's Instagram the yeah. other day speaking. That was amazing. Yeah. Major. And uh, tell me about your
1: billboard. Totally. So I think you did this uh, campaign last year with Harry's. Um, so Harry's just reached out to me and said, hey, we're doing this kind of pride collection. We're going to put it on billboards. I didn't really think about it. I was just like, oh, okay, cool, fun. And then the billboards started to come out. And I got so emotional because I was like wow, like I am a brown bearded lipstick wearing person in a dress. Like, where do you see that? And just having people from like Cleveland, Ohio, just ran in places messaging me like I'm senior billboard. This is the representation that I want. I've been, I can't tell you how many photo shoots I've been in where I'm edited out of the photo or the photographer will be like, do you want the best photo or the politically correct photo? I'm always made to be political correctness. I'm like, honey, I'm gorge. Like, yeah. I'm fashionable. I'm everything. I'm beautiful. Why are you eliminating me? I'm always cut. And. And I think to actually have that moment for myself opened up a new set of possibilities for myself because I think for so long I thought I only can be on a stage because that's where people are comfortable with people like us. If, we're, if they can think of it as like a drag show where they're like, you're putting on a costume for the performance and then you go off and you're a man and you live a normal life. And now I'm feeling like the stage more and more feels like a cage for me because I'm like, okay, why is it that I'm only safe when I'm on the stage? Why can't I wear this look everywhere else? And when I moved to New York, as I was saying with my, my timeline, is when I started to perform more I started to experiment with my gender more on stage and then I was having so much fun I was like I'm going to wear this just on the street and that's where the violence started to happen and, and I think that's what really breaks my heart is the kind of queerness that I'm fighting for is I should be able to walk in a seven inch heel in an amazing gown that I designed myself just to go get some coconut water from the corner store. And everyone should just be like, hi, have a good day. Like, and people, conservatives in this country want to say this is a, quote, radical gender ideology. And what it really is, is just my ability to exist and function as a human being. There's nothing radical about that.
0: It's literally older than Jesus. Yes, hello. Yeah, like literally. <laughs> well, I think that you are incredibly strong and very visionary. What do people, well, okay, actually, I have two things and then we have to wrap up, but I could literally talk to you forever. <clears throat> Here's one thing I've been kind of struggling with, and I want to ask you a question. So when it comes to, like, pronouns, I've always referred to myself as a he or a she. I refer to my penis as a she. I refer to, like, lots of different things as, like, a he or a she. It's kind of like a feeling. It's like an expression that, like, because I've never felt, like, beholden to that binary. I always felt that I fit outside of it. I always felt that it, like, wasn't really for me. I've always felt that, like the things that made me feminine organically are the things that make me the strongest and actually are the most like masculine rewarded things. Because like, I think, you know, traditionally masculine, you would have to be very brave. Right. You'd have to be able to endure a lot of pain. Right. You'd have to be very strong and like have like a very like strong conviction. I've had to have all those things to express myself the way that I do, as have you. So it's like, sometimes I feel like the things that make me feminine actually make me the most masculine. If Mm -hmm. you're looking at like the qualities that they come along with. Totally. So it's like, I don't mind if people call me he or him because it requires me less conversation. It doesn't really, like, move a hair on my head, like, what you need to categorize me as. Because I've always known in my heart that, like, I'm not the binary's definition of a man and I never needed to be. Right. And then, but, so, I feel fine with he, him. I feel fine with she, hers. I feel fine with they, them. But, like, as owning this and stepping into that, like, how does the whole pronoun thing work like how i mean because it's like um like how do i just i just like because like so many people were like saying it, but i was like it's in the article like I, it right. can be he him <laughs> it can be whatever like yeah but there's this like expectation that like totally. i have to come into a room and like immediately like put everyone at ease and tell them like yeah. what my pronouns are totally. and i am newer on this scene so it's like what how what how what is the rule of this
1: There's so much I want to say. I'll try to be brief. First of all, you're not newer on the scene because you've always been this way. What's new is the language. And I think that's what... People get so fixated on the language that they neglect that, like there's so many ways of existing in the world that are beyond language. And that's what I believe as an artist is art is the place beyond language. And so I think that you can have the sense of imposter syndrome to be like, okay, how do I represent the community best? Your obligation is to respect and represent yourself. There's as many ways to be non-binary as there are non-binary people. And I think what's really dangerous right now in the trans community is we're always thinking about how do we put the most respectable or responsible face versus how do I put my face? We can have as many different ways of being trans, as many different ways of being non-binary. You can use he, they can use, they, she can use she. And that should not at all undermine our collective efforts. So it's totally legit and wonderful to be non-binary and to still use he. And then I think um, the sense of like uh, having to put a label on it. I think about that as a compromise actually, because for me, gender and sexuality are stories And they can never actually fit into like these static labels or categories. Who I am, change. I can't even decide what shoes I'm going to wear in one day. Like the idea that I have to have like a gender for the rest of my life is like unambitious, not really what's happening. What I love about fashion and style is I can change it up all the time. And that's the same thing with gender and sexuality. We're fluid. We shift. We change. That's dynamic. And so oftentimes the reason that we've been pressured to give language is because of a heteronormative straight society that will look at anyone else and be like, you're different. What is your name? Let me categorize that. I understand that right now we need language because we have to give visibility, we have to say that there there are these rights that are being restricted but the world that I'm fighting for is when you're just JVN, I'm just alone. You know, and we don't actually need to say, this is non-binary, this is whatever. Um, I think categories are important, they're necessary, but I don't think that that's the end goal.
0: It reminds me of, like, a cart- Tolle. It's, like, knowing, like, what ego is and knowing, like, what your centered self is. Like, we need to have, like, the ideas and things because it gives you, like, directive, but that doesn't mean that's, like, literally
1: who we are. Right. I think so often, like when I'm when we're talking about the entertainment media landscape, people look at us and just think that we are genders and sexualities. Like I'm so bored of just getting booked for gigs to talk about gender. I'm like, I can talk about loneliness, I can talk about heartbreak, I can talk about all these other universal things that you allow straight, cis, white men to talk about. Like, we allow straight, cis, white men to be experts on everything. Why can't I be a weather reporter? I'm just putting this out into the ether. I've always wanted to be a weather reporter who gives fashion advice with the weather. Isn't that necessary? Bitch, do a YouTube I might, I might, because literally I'm like— You need
0: to write the rules for yourself, I'm sorry, I'm screaming. Everyone <laughs> in the other room is like,
1: you're screaming. Write the rules for the, this Because right. I, I, I would do it. buy that. I Thank would you. do
0: that. I'm, I'm I'm obsessed. So where can people find you and like what's
1: coming up next and what are you like most excited about? Totally. Instagram's the best place to find me. It's slash A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. And so many cool things coming up on the horizon for me. I'm coming out with a book. Uh, in May called Beyond the Gender Binary so it's going to be a little primer for people to really understand non-binary and the politics behind it like this coming May yeah so like in 11 months yes oh my god okay anticlimactic but it's, no, it's happening okay, it's okay it's okay it's you okay. know the publishing cycle is a little slow it takes
0: a second okay. you're busy you're perfecting
1: and uh, I'm continuing to tour around so I'm, I have a show in Atlanta this month and then I'm going to be in Texas my hometown putting together our, our first pride, paid, pride party in like a decade I think
0: Good for you. Yes. Bringing visibility back to the original yes, place. Yes, yes. Well, I want to hear about how um, the reunion was. I'd be safe. I have so much fun. Um, there's so many more things we could talk about. I know that we have 40 minutes, but we just have to have you back. I love you so much. Thanks for your time. Thanks, thanks, thanks for, for having, having me. You. Yes. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was writer and performance artist, Alok. This episode originally aired in June 2019. You'll find links to Alok's work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bossick. Our editor is Andrew Carson and our transcriptionist is Cassie Jerkins. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, Emily Bosick, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson.
1: Hey